Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity, and in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? What exactly do we like about the Houston Rockets? What issues do we have with the Toronto Raptors? Are all players coachable? The only question left is, say it with me, you in? Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. And as usual, every Monday now, I'm going to have on Coach Dave Dufour, your friend and mine, Dave, that guy Dave. And don't forget to check out That Guy Dave Basketball Podcast as well, because if you don't get enough of him here, you can get plenty there. So Dave, good morning. Morning. How's it going? Uh, it's going. We, uh, it's we, Monday. we just did that thing. We just did that thing where we pretend that we didn't just talk for 30 minutes. Right. Or, or, or we're also doing that awkward, like, hi. Yeah. Hey. Uh, hello. Right. Like NPR. Yes. Anyway. All right. So Hi. let's talk some basketball. Okay. Shall we? Uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about um, – anyway. Yes. Let's do it. Uh, we were talking about the Rockets. We're talking about the Raptors. Uh, watched that game last night, and I thought we could jump right into what we think about the Rockets because, you know, let's brighten up some days, shall we? Some people's – you know, make them happy. Give the people what they want. Yeah. Um, the Rockets are a good basketball team. Very good. Um, we need a sound James effect Hart- for like a siren or something when you say I know, things like yeah, that. Yeah, like I, I know. I need to need to get some drops going here, but they are really, really good. I mean, I'm not surprised, but I think a lot of people are. Um, they have a team that on paper should be bottom five in defense, and once again, Mike D'Antoni is coaching inferior talent to league average levels of defense. They're 16th right now in defensive rating overall. They're um, they're in a virtual tie with Toronto for for two in uh, offensive rating, um, a couple of like I think like a point and a half behind the Warriors or something like that. And over the last month, they're 19 and two, and they're second and fourth. So second in offense and fourth in defense. So, oh, is that right? Their defense has really picked up, huh? Yeah, and wow. and you know they they've been missing Capella now for a couple weeks, and they haven't missed a beat. Um, you know. D'Antoni's found a way to, to leverage Nene and his passing ability up around the elbows. And uh, Montrez Harrell has been really, really good. He started last night's game 12 of 12. Love him. Um, you and I both love that guy. He's an undersized center with a high motor. And he's got a really nice touch, and he does a lot of – he makes a lot of winning basketball plays. He's like Larry Nance. Yeah. You know what I respond to for him is that, like, in Louisville even, and I don't watch a lot of college, but he stood out to me there because he's kind of mean. And some of those guys, like, Larry Nance is not mean, and that holds him back. And I don't want – I don't advocate for people being mean or being a jerk or being whatever on the court, but, but there are guys who are good mean, and you, you shouldn't mess with them. And they're gonna they're gonna be they're not gonna be intimidated, and even if they're undersized, they can still do that. Like like Ronnie Turiaf was a good example of a guy who never got mean enough and didn't really believe how good he could have been. And I feel like in, in, in almost in the same kind of package, uh, this is what Montrez Harrell is, and um, just he just gets it done. And that motor is absolutely what stands out. Um, just you know, again, Daryl Morey deserves more credit than most people give him, even though he probably gets a lot of credit anyway. Yeah, I, look, I questioned the Ryan Anderson and the Eric Gordon signings. Um, for me, it wasn't the dollars, it was the years. And, you know, so we will see if the if the years wind up being bad on the back end. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, man, this first year where they're looking at a potential two seed, um, it's paying off so far. I mean, he's done a great job. You know, when he hired D'Antoni, I thought it was a weird hire for him. But he armed D'Antoni with the right pieces. This is obviously the opposite of Hoiberg in Chicago that we've talked about where he'd been ar- armed with all these odds and ends, yeah. weird pieces like C-3PO with a red arm. Like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? Did they ever explain that, by the way? 
Um, so, yeah, quick tangent. They didn't, but they explained it in uh, the Lego video game. So don't ask me how I know that. Oh, I, I uh, won't. Okay, fair enough. So we'll, we'll break yeah. that out because that never made much sense, but okay. Um, uh, yeah, so it was, you know, Maury did a great job of giving D'Antoni the, the – he's like handed him the keys to a nice car for his offense – and then, you know, they've just done a really great job on defense. Um, I know Roy Rogers is, is coaching the defense there. Um, but also, man, D'Antoni, look, it is time that people start to realize that Mike D'Antoni is a very good basketball coach. To, actually, you know what? No, he is a great basketball coach. And on both ends. Yeah. Because if you go back and you look at the personnel that he had, he's never had a center who um, you know you would consider a top five defensive center or a top ten defensive center, and he definitely has never had wing players that guard. I mean, Patrick Beverly is probably the best defender he's ever had as a guard. Mm-hmm. And man, is I mean, he good? Yeah, he's really good, and and he's coaching this team with Ryan Anderson, James Harden, Eric Gordon, and, and et cetera to league average on defense. And that's all you need when you've got a top five offense. Right. Well, here's the thing. A couple of things you have to take in consideration. Um, one is I, I kind of like, I think I lost a basketball, uh, a friendship uh, of a basketball guy uh, over Nene because a couple of years ago when I was watching Nene, I was like, he's as good as LaMarcus Aldridge. And I remember people wigged out on me on Twitter for that. But the point I wanted to make was he's got a really good mid-range game. He can pass better than Aldridge down on the post, I think. He can, he's rugged. He can bounce. The only issue he's ever really had was injuries, in my mind, right? Now he's a little bit older and whatever, but the guy, the guy had the talent and the guy had the skills. He just couldn't really get on the court enough. And I don't look at it that way. When I, when I evaluate a player, I can't blame him for being injured and getting hurt. It's like not his fault, and that's just what happens. So that's the one thing. Um, and, and that was a weird issue, a weird reaction, because I didn't think they would cause as much problems as it did a couple of years ago. And like people were just yelling at me and, and whatever. But, the, but to get back to your point about the defense is that you know, what people need to understand is that if you have a really efficient offense and you're coming back down on defense in a set position a lot more than you would be with a shittier offense. And I don't think people often understand that. And that's a big thing. So the better their offense is, in theory, right, the better the defense at least has a more of a chance at stopping the other team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they, they say often a good defense leads to good offense, right? Like a lot of transition and stuff like that. Yeah. But the opposite is true as well. I mean, it, it is much easier to defend if you're already back in set than if you're chasing, you know, if you're chasing guys in transition. Absolutely. And so yeah. looking at their offense and what they are doing out there, I mean, <clears throat> you know, having Gordon and Anderson out there has really been helpful, right, Spe- compared to last year. And the other thing is, is, you know, last year fell apart very quickly and they got rid of the coach and whatever. And you got to look at what was going on. I guess it has to be a personnel thing, right? Like what was going on? Who was there, right, that really caused the problems? Well, was it really right, Ty so- Lawson? Did Ty Lawson do this? No, I, I mean, Dwight Howard was the big problem last year. And, and you know, we saw this in L.A., Dwight Howard got to play with Steve Nash and James Harden, two of the, if not the two best, two of the best pick-and-roll ball handlers in the history of the NBA. Mm-hmm. And he was an unwilling role man. Last year, he only rolled on 11%. Like, he was only the role man on 11% of the possessions that he was on the court. Right. That is ridiculous. <clears throat> Dwight Howard is a player that doesn't know why he's good at basketball. He's constantly asking for post-ups. He sucks at post-ups. He's a... He's one of the best pick-and-roll bigs in NBA history. And I've just thrown now NBA history out twice, but this is like how ridiculous the Houston situation was. If he had just run pick-and-roll after pick-and-roll after pick-and-roll with James Harden, he could have scored 23 points a game and made it look easy. Right. Well, and yeah. He just, so, again, he just he, – he, he wanted post-ups and, and he complained and he moped and he did all this stuff. And he's gone, and look at how Atlanta's going. Yeah, exactly. And I, I tweeted this out the other day. What does this say about Dwight Howard, that where he's gone, he's laid waste to everywhere he's gone. Even in Orlando, eventually he did. And that was what was frustrating because what, what you said about the role man being devastating is because he used to be so fast that you could pick and roll for him and roll, and either they'd hit him um, from the, ro- the, pick and, the pick and roll ball handler or they one quick pass, boom, that's what, Dan, uh, that's what Stan Van Gundy had. Now, the other thing, though, is 
is once he screens the ball and then rolls hard to the rim, he can then get really good low post position for a quick post up. Now, if he was going to post up anyway in his career, that would be the way he should be posting up almost the entire time. But that's what he wouldn't do either. That's the other benefit that like the pick and roll would give him. Um, so you're right. It's, it's a really frustrating thing that he didn't have enough self-awareness, I suppose, to understand how good of a coach Stan, Stan Van Gundy was because it was pretty clear that he got him out of there and then got himself out of there later. I mean, I just think he's, he's a complicated man who um, and no one understands him but his woman. Um, sure. Yeah, okay. I, I would argue that no one understands Dwight. Not even Dwight. And, and Not even I Isaac Hayes? Dwight. I, I root for Dwight. I, you know, I, I don't think Dwight is a bad person. Um, and I love, like, 2009 Dwight Howard was a fun guy to watch. Yeah. But after that season, you know, when, when it all it all went downhill with Stan Van Gundy and the Diet Pepsi. It did. The Diet Pepsi uh, gate. Um, That's right. Yeah. And, and Stan Van Gundy has been involved in, in so many of these <laughs> seminal moments. Uh, but, you know, I, by the way, I, he was my, my coach. I was, uh, you know, a basketball manager in Wisconsin when he was the assistant there. Oh, oh wow. So I got to spend some time that. with him. He's he's great. Um, but let's get back to the Rockets because yeah. um, offensively, so we're talking about pick and roll. Uh, you know, you, you seem like you're seeing a little bit more of a D'Antoni special sauce in their offense um, than I am. I feel like I feel like I'm still seeing quite, just a lot of sort of spread pick and roll, let Harden do his thing. Um, are you seeing more of the corner stuff, high post action before the pick and roll? Well, so I am seeing a lot of action out of the corner. Like you might get a quick pin down, you know, to the wing. Uh, it's it's more – it's not necessarily that they're running D'Antoni actions. It's just that the action is D'Antoni-like, if that makes any sense. Like they are – there's no more walking the ball up. They're getting the ball up. Um, you know, Harden is getting – you know, he's looking to pass ahead and get into the offense early, which is huge. I mean, that's, that's one of D'Antoni's pet peeves is guys that take until 60, you know, they take the full eight seconds to get it across, and then you've got 16 seconds to work with. And so they're getting the ball up the court, and they're getting into their actions early. There's no more James Harden just standing up top dribbling until seven seconds left on the clock and then running a pick and roll. Yeah, They're running a pick and roll early, and then if nothing's there, they're leveraging the fact that James Harden – is one of the best passers in basketball and can drive and kick with anyone. And so they're getting a lot of stuff. Yes, it's James Harden's pick and roll, but he is a master at it. So of course, D'Antoni's going to use it. Um, but so that's kind of what I've seen is that you're getting just early offense. You're getting into things quicker. And then the guys, you know, like when Eric Gordon is out there without James Harden, that's when you're really seeing the D'Antoni stuff. Yeah, that's what I see. Absolutely. And Eric Gordon is a revelation and deserves – uh, a breakdown. I really and I've always liked his game, because um, he hops a lot, by the way, at a shot, which I really yeah. like to see. Um, and you know, the dude is shooting forty-one percent from three on nine threes a game. This might be the highest we've seen a guy with this many three attempts in a game. I think. Wait, wasn't Steph higher than that last year? But did I don't did Steph ever get to nine threes a game? I thought he was shooting like eleven last year. Oh man, we're gonna have to pull oh, the stat. If only we do- had you know some sort of way of checking this with a you know. I- Technology. Well, I don't want another Kyle Korver situation. Uh, right. You don't want a Kyle or an Ennis Canner situation. That's right. Uh, Steph last year was at 9.43. Oh, you're right. No, no, he's 11.2 last year. Oh, wait, that was, yeah, 9.4 this year. Wow. Yes. So you're right. I was off. Forgive me. So Steph's, wow. <laughs> no, Steph shot 45 on 11, and yeah. uh, that's that's insane. Okay, so never mind. But it's up there. There's not many who've done it. <clears throat> no, 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 no. <clears throat> And, and you know, yeah. and I love the fact that yeah, I love the fact that Gordon can kind of run the offense when he's out when or play the 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 Harden version role and do it pretty well. The the key I think with with Gordon though is he attacks on the catch, like you said. They don't really wait, but um, this notion of you watch him play and as the ball comes, he's not going to jab step or rip through or triple threat. He is going to attack right away. Uh, and most of the time, you know, or I guess forty three percent of the time on those field goals, he's going to score. Um, yeah, and yeah. that's that's a good rate for him. Well, you know, D'Antoni. D'Antoni is a like he believes that the jab step and the rip through and all that stuff they're wasted movements. How do you I know this? Because we talked this summer at summer league. Oh, you talked with D'Antoni about this? Yeah, all right. um, I asked him because you know, like as a basketball coach, like when you get an opportunity to ask D'Antoni something, like you know, like 
you're going to, you're going to ask him a bunch of questions. Yeah. And so, you know, he says you need to be able to do three things, catch and shoot, catch and drive, catch and pass. You don't need to do all this other stuff. And as a matter of fact, the whole point of a pass in the offense is to catch the defense off guard so that they start to fall behind. So if you catch the ball and you stop and jab step, all you're doing is get, especially at the NBA level with these elite athletes, you're just giving these guys a chance to catch up. Yeah. You want to, you want to force a closeout. Yeah, exactly. And James and Harden so, is, is I mean, he is so good at that snatch. He snatches it off the dribble, and it's, the pass is already gone before anyone can react. Uh, you know, uh, it's a skip pass, like three-position skip pass. It's really, a, you know, a talent, which, again, the reason why he's better than Nash is because of oh, his physical ability, right? He's 6'7". Oh, well, yeah, so let's talk about that. Yeah, James Harden is the best pick-and-roll ball handler in NBA history. Right. He's, he's better than Steve Nash. You know, it's not fair to Nash because Nash simply didn't have the physical ability. If right. Nash was six seven, he'd be as good or not better than Harden. I mean, I think that's right. yeah. you know. Well, so not I mean, only that, but Harden is built like you know, like a football player. Yeah. And when he puts you in jail, like you're in jail. This is like <laughs> what people don't understand about about his ability to draw fouls is because there are very few guys with his size. And his ball handling ability and his body control. It's like him and LeBron. I mean, LeBron's right. obviously bigger, but and, and this is why and, and Harden is also he has this amazing ability. You know, hand checking is illegal. And so the second he feels a hand on him on a drive, he puts up a shot and draws a foul. But it is a foul. Like hand checking is a foul. He's following the rules. This isn't some flop thing. Yes, mm -hmm. certainly Harden has had flopping moments, um, just like Chris Paul and LeBron and all of these guys. I mean, LeBron once got hit by his own teammate and flopped. So right. let's, you know, let's, they're, they're all flopping. Everyone's flopping. If you're not right. flopping, you're not trying. Right. Well, here, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a discipline thing. Like, I covered the, uh, the huge uh, triple-double he had, probably the greatest of all time. And the, uh, the, his defender, um, uh, Holiday, he would just, like, you know, get his hand out, like, trying to reach out toward his waist. You can't do it. And it's, yeah, you can hear the slap. It's clear contact. He's great at it. Um, and, you know, I know it's frustrating to everybody else but Rockets fans, but it is simply, you know, it's just not disciplined defense. And, like, if you're a good enough player where he, you're going to get caught every time you're not disciplined, then that tells you something about how good that guy is, right? I mean, that's, I think that's what we're saying. Um, really just uh, an impressive guy. Now, the only problem I have is that, you know, his three-point shooting, uh, you know, should be better. I mean, I'm looking it up right now. Let's see. 35%. It's about average, maybe a little bit below average at this point uh, on high volume. You know, to me, doesn't it feel like he would probably shoot close to 40 if he only he – take, he's taking about nine a game. If he took six a game, he'd shoot 40%. Yeah, probably. He, he has a tendency, and I actually wrote uh, something about this um, for Real GM – over the summer, he takes a lot of these um, high degree of difficulty threes, end of shot clock. So he's the end of shot clock guy when when nothing's going. So yeah. if if you go through and you look, he probably is shooting about forty percent on what are considered normal threes. Oh, okay. Good point. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care about um, his percentages. Like he know he knows that they're going to be there, right? So he's launching. End of end of quarter, end of half, end of game threes. You know, like he yeah. he's he's trying to score, and, and so he takes a lot um, a lot of really difficult contested shots, which he's very good at making. Um, but he's not really good at the end of clock stuff. So that's part of it. Is that you know he's like the the safety valve for that offense. So you know, that would be a video too worthy of just sort of showing uh, you know just the threes and why you know he probably is shooting better than it appears. Great point. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's just like the spacing that he – and by the way, even if he was 35%, you have to guard him five feet beyond the three-point line. So it's, right. it's not like they're going to sag off of him and it's going to matter at this point, right? Like that's the other key. Yeah. Well, just to, just to kind of put into perspective the kind of ridiculous season he's having, you did a big breakdown about his 50-point, 15-rebound, 15-assist game. Mm -hmm. Well, last night he had 40, 10, and 10, and nobody batted an eye. <laughs> right. Right? Like – I mean, he also had 10 turnovers, so it wasn't an amazing game like that other one. But, um, yeah, the guy is just – to me, there's no doubt he's the MVP, especially with how good his team is.
Uh, yeah, and, and and that's the key. I, I think he's the MVP overall, right? I mean, I think you know mm-hmm. we we both agreed. We talked about this before. It, it might be a record thing, and he's clearly going to have a better record than, or the Rockets will have a better record than the Thunder. Um, and whether you want to think it's fair or not, but either way, uh, it does feel like he's gotten some separation from Russ at this point, right? Yeah, I, the winning the winning does matter um, at the end of the day. I mean, and I'm judging this by the way the voters have historically voted for MVP and the winning's going to matter. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty sure James Harden at this point, we're at about the halfway mark. Uh, I think they're 30 and nine or 31 and nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're right around the halfway mark and yeah, yeah 39. I mean, there you uh, go. Yeah. Um, well, you know, let's in, in the context of watching the Raptors game, we should talk about the Raptors a little bit too, because I just had some, some feelings I want to get off my chest here. Uh, and I know that Raptors fans are they're very protective of their team and and we've all heard everybody talk about that and get all they get they get their knickers in a bunch uh, quite a bit on on the Raptors but um, it, it felt like to me that you know the Raptors had a, a, a nice lead throughout most of the game um, you know into the third quarter uh, right I think the third quarter is when it changed and so but no matter what and I was kind of like almost falling asleep on the couch for a lot of this but I still even in my half awake uh, you know lucid moments could see that it was just a matter of time until the Rockets like went on a run. And I think that's also part of the, 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 the secret sauce here, or the recipe is, you know, they, you know, if they don't get on the run, they lose the game, oh well. But they're going to get on a run 70, 75%, 70% of the time, right? Or 70, 70% mm-hmm. of the games, and then they're going to win, right? But um, I don't know. What is it about the Raptors that just they, they just don't have it? They haven't beaten a good team all year, right? Isn't their record like 0-10 now against the top teams? Yeah, it just seems like, even though I think the offensive rating is a little bit uh, of a distortion of what this team is, because against good defenses, it just feels like, and this is feel, I don't know, I haven't looked at the numbers, um, so I'm not going to throw out any any statistics, but it feels like they go back to the stuck-in-the-mud offense, get it into, you know, Valanchunas, um, DeRozan, you know, with the the mid-range pull-up, and and just just and takes forever, right? And it just takes forever for these things to develop. So they're constantly looking like end of shot clock against elite defenses. Now they still put up like 123 points or something against Houston last night, but part of that might have been the Houston effect. Um, but you know they're just not—they're not really a high-powered offense unless they're playing a poor defense. Yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll tease those numbers out and maybe another video because that'd be very interesting as well. Um, yeah. But um, what I wanted to say was, you know, I think it's, you know, what you kind of said about how it takes a while for the for the place to develop, and now they get the clock going against them. That is true, uh, but also just the quality of shots that they have to take on a, on a consistent basis are very hard. And I think we all, you know, when you watch like the, the the Warriors play or you watch the Rockets play. Okay, they're great, right? Like the Warriors are great. They're good players. They they, they have it, but they, they they play loose, right? They play free. The Rockets. We saw um, uh, Anderson say like they get in trouble if they don't shoot the three. Like they're so encouraged, and D'Antoni does a great job of developing that confidence. And it just looks like the the shots they have to take in Toronto. You have, they're just so tense. They're so, everything is like at the full speed and as much energy as they possibly can muster. You know, Corey Joseph is a great example of that. I love him. I love the way he plays. But you can see that he's on the verge of being out of control almost the entire time. Because if he doesn't push himself that hard, then he'll just get destroyed on a daily on every possession. Right? He just doesn't have the physical ability to compete like that. But again, love him. He does great. He's gotten really much better than he ever had when he started. But a lot of the players are like that. Lowry is – I'm taller than Lowry. What? And yeah. I, I was talking to him, you know, at, at um, Adidas Nations like two years ago. I was I was taller than him or pretty huh. close. And I'm like six feet. So I don't think yeah. Lowry is six feet. He might be, you know, six feet in shoes. So, you know, it's impressive what he can do, right? But he doesn't jump out of the gym. He's not like a, a great athlete. So you can imagine, you know, you get in among those trees. Those shots are really hard against anybody. And he can make them, you know – uh, enough, but you're right. Against these good teams, against the length in a playoff series, when they're ready for it, it's it's that, that there's a, there's a serious hole here. Yeah, well, DeRozan, you know, it, to me is the example of this that that comes to mind first. Um, he's very good at hitting these contested mid range shots until yeah. the playoffs. Very good. Oh, okay. 
when when the defenses lock in in the playoffs, I mean, what happens? You know, like he, he struggles. And their teams are going to give up the mid-range during the regular season, especially. You know, they're not locked in on every single possession. And if you're trying to kill them with mid-range and you're going to shoot 44%, they're going to take their they're going to take that. Um, especially, you know, like since it's still going to be contested, it's just not it's not like a playoff contest, which just sounds so weird to say. But um, and he's very good at hitting these contested shots. But a contested shot is not a good shot. <laughs> right. And you know, the, the added pressure of the playoffs is always there. Now, he has another year of experience, which also really helps if anyone's ever played in any kind of playoff setting. It's, it, you just need to do it. There's no other way. You can't. No one can tell you how, to, how it's going to go. You need to experience it and probably fail a little bit to get it, to get that next level. So it is possible. By the way, I looked up the offensive rating of the team yesterday against the Rockets. It was 114 or maybe like 115, but their overall offensive rating for the season is 113. So even though they hung 120-whatever points, on them, uh, a lot of possessions. So it wasn't that much better than what their normal offensive rating is uh, against Houston, um, which doesn't really make a point either way. But the bottom line is, I think, is that it's always been that way for me. And I, and I feel bad because as a coach, you want to reward hard work and you want to reward guys that are playing above their heads, right? They are. They're, they're playing, you know, and Casey should get a lot of credit for that. But that said, uh, if, I think if they had a different offense that allowed them to create more spacing and maybe you know looked a little bit more like the Rockets' movement, they would be better anyway. But then again, you know how much better are they going to be? They're 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 second in the conference. They have the number two offense in the, or number one offense, whatever it is. Two. It's like you know we're kind of, we're kind of splitting hairs here, aren't we? Well, I'll tell you my big concern is that this is a traditionally defensive team that that isn't doing as well on defense, and that. You know, come playoff time, like that's why they they took the Cavs to six games last year. You know, they were able to lock them down. It wasn't because they were putting up one twenty a game, right? So that that would be a concern for me. Is this more just a? Is this more about the rotations, or is this you know a, a philosophical shift thing, or is this something they're going to be able to to dig back into and, and kind of pull up again? Come playoff time. Well, I, I document this in a, in a breakdown about the three-point defense that they had. And they helped one pass away, and they allowed middle penetration. Uh, they play old school. They, they don't ice uh, the, the, the pick and roll as much as I think they should. And so they get their bigs out of position hedging. So, you know, and I don't want to, you know, again, I don't know what's going on in their practices. But from what I have observed with, like, Dwayne Casey is he just seems like an old-school coach who hasn't sort of looked at different or newer ways to defend certain things and or maybe just doesn't they don't see it or they don't see the detail or whatever but um, yeah there there are some fundamental issues defensively that you know I guess they got away with last year because I don't think that had changed radically to to this year uh, what were they ranked last year do you know I don't know oh, me, well if me. only we had you know some way of checking I'm going to tell you in in about ten, five seconds as it loads up last year's rankings. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, again, did they really compete that hard with the, with the Cavs? Last year they were 11th overall in defensive rating. Again, okay. not in the top 10, and again, which indicates, you know, uh, not a title contender. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't think Toronto is a title contender. I mean, regardless of the fact that they're, they're the number two seed, Cle- Cleveland is so far and away better in every respect than Toronto mm-hmm. that you can't you can't take Toronto seriously as as a as a contender. This is why I argued against the DeRozan resigning. Because while I understand the, the idea like you're not getting marquee free agents so you need to keep yours, I just don't think DeRozan may, I, I think Norman Powell would have been just fine as the two guard. I think Norman Powell as the two guard or starting Terrence Ross or whatever you want to do Get, still gets you the two seed in the East. With oh, okay, that. that's a good point. Yeah. And what they gave up was, you know, financial flexibility and all this stuff for a guy. And DeRozan can score. Don't get me wrong; like that's worth money. I just don't think that that's the the big need of this team. I think that they could they'll find a way to get the buckets. Their biggest issue was not having a defender at the at you know on the wing. So, um, yeah, I, I I was against the DeRozan signing. Now he's since. Proved me wrong, at least with his hot start. Like so far, he's had a really good year, but his defense still isn't there. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I I don't know. I that just like all these contracts, 
the jury's still out on that for me. I, I need to I need to see what it's going to look like in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you know, if there's deals to be made, the Mizzou jury is going to make them. He's he's you know he knows how to do that, uh, and and I, I have full confidence in the idea that like this was the best they could do in their circumstance. And, you know, and that's okay. I mean, that, this is going to go down as an era where they, this is the best basketball the Raptors have ever played in their history. And I'm sure everyone's excited about that. But, again, uh, there, there's just something lacking. And they've also sort of benefited from, uh, you know, a weak East that, you know, it's hard to believe no other team has sort of uh, emerged in the last, like, two or three years. I guess the Bulls were going to be that until the Hoiberg experiment has gone all, terribly wrong. Um, for a lot of reasons that maybe not related to him, uh, but yeah, it is it is a little strange that he didn't, um, you know, that, that no no one else emerged. And, and by the way, Demar Rosen is still at twenty eight points a game, and he's at forty seven percent three you know uh, field goal percentage. So he's ma- been able to maintain. I think that's pretty much where he started out the season, right? I mean, he was probably a little closer to thirty the first like fifteen games, but you know that's pretty. He's he's sustained that, right? Yeah, he's having a good season on the offensive end, but his defense is just still not there, man. Like, um, all you have to do is watch a couple games, and you can see it. So, um, I, I just I don't I don't value guys that don't bring it from a, like he's he's not he's also not a playmaker, right? He scores, but he's he's never making his teammates better, right? So I, I just don't I don't put as much value on the twenty eight points a game if that's all you can bring. I mean. Right. Don't get me wrong. That is still worth something. I just for for the Raptors, I don't think that that's what they needed. Right now, that said, he, he is getting four assists a game, so he is setting some. He's doing something on that end as well. I mean, it's probably a usage thing as well. He just has the ball so damn sure. much. But but you know, you can't ignore that. But you're right. He, I mean, and that's his primary role. His, your, your role is to we will swing it to you, and you will take five dribbles and shoot the ball with a guy in your face, and uh, we will take our chances. And you're right. That's that's all well and good in the regular season, but you know, not necessarily in the playoffs. Um, when you need to hit easier shots as much as possible, which is hard to do, but you you got to do that if you're going to have any hope of competing. Now, again, they're they're a lock for the Eastern Conference Finals, and they're probably a lock to win a couple games. I don't know, man. Boston's about to catch them in the standings. So, oh, um, okay, yeah. that's true. So, if Boston's the two seed, I think I, th- I think that matters a lot. Um, uh, that's interesting. Let's let's call. I'm going to look at that real quick because I'm curious to see the uh, the standings. Because um, if they were the third seed, um, and you're right, the Boston's one game behind. And if they follow my breakdown I just released about uh, playing Olenek a little bit more alongside Horford, then I think that they're going to get up there. Uh, if they were the third, they'd, they'd be slated to play the Charlotte. Oh, wow! Now the Charlotte Hornets of all teams could defend the Raptors pretty pretty damn well. They match um, up pretty yeah. well. I think the Charlotte Hornets match up really well with with a lot of teams. They're my sleeper to come out of the East, or at least to give uh, to give the Cavs a little run because you know Kemba Wa- Walker is having an amazing season, and defensively is the stuff that they do. I mean, Steve Clifford is a wizard with what you know what he has him doing defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really think I, I think they're a move away. Um, possibly for like I mean I, I would love to see them get like Nerlens Noel. But I, 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 Charlotte would scare me. Let's just put it this way. If, if I was the Raptors or the Celtics, I'd be scared of Charlotte. I would not want to face Charlotte. I, I agree. You know, Michael Gilchrist is uh, just tenacious. And I'm always like, you know, his offense is whatever. But when you watch him out there on defense, it's like kind of startling. When you watch, it's like he is just in, in your face. He's like the Patrick Beverly of, of a wing, you know, bigger, small forward defenders. Um, and uh, it's it's a kind of a pleasure to watch. I would love to see him. You know, he probably would end up getting in foul trouble against LeBron just because it's LeBron. But I would love to see that matchup. That would be really fun. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um, and I'm now that I'm just looking at the standings, I just realized that the Bucks, the Bucks and Wizards are a half game back of the Bulls for the seven seed. I expect the Bulls to be dropping out of the playoffs. I think the Bucks are going to be the seven or eight seed. I'm hoping they're the eight seed because I want to see them play the Cavs. I think that they could. I mean, I doubt that they'll win the series, but I think they could win a game or two. Didn't didn't we talk about this before? No, I, I'm yeah. planning a breakdown on this where why the why the Cavs don't want to play the Bucks. Oh, okay. uh, absolutely. Oh, without question, with Giannis and Jabari Parker, if they can just you know in the next forty games continue to re- to refine the offensive attack better. 
because um, I did a breakdown Japari where he's doing great, but man, they're, they're not helping him at all. That offense does yeah. not help you know create openings for him. And, um, you know, if they could kind of figure that out a little bit better, because I do like their high post attack. Uh, and I, I joked the other day where, you know, if John Wooden had come down from heaven and he, he would have thought he's coaching the Bucks because they run basically his offense um, almost to the, to the T. It's crazy. And um, I, I would love to see that. Also, because I think it forces um, LeBron to guard Giannis, right? Is that how that matches up or not all the time? But, like, that's the key. I want to see LeBron have to guard somebody. Yeah, I think that I, when they played the, in the regular season, he was guarding Jabari, but I think in the playoffs he'd have to guard Giannis. Yeah, at least you know, at least a little bit. And man, I, you know, because I just feel like you know, they, they, I think the Warriors <clears throat> got a lot of uh, crap for like you know when they got to the finals and they won, they didn't play anybody. Right, everyone got injured before they played them. Well, to me, it's almost like no, LeBron doesn't have to play defense. You know, and at least now, like in the finals, he's going to have to play Durant, which is interesting. But I want to see him, you know, because he doesn't, he can do it, and we've seen him do it, and he still has the ability to do it, but he doesn't have to, and it's frustrating. I want to see him have to work a little bit on that end. I talked about that the other day um, with Jimmy Butler when they played the Cavs. Like, man, imagine if if LeBron would guard Jimmy Butler. You know, like, and and ten years ago he would have. Right. But I get it. You know, you got to save those legs. He's got a lot of miles on him. Right. Well, you know, do we have any questions from the mailbag? I was just about to say, maybe we should get to some questions before we talk about coasting. Um, yeah, we got, uh, let's see. John Freeman asks, um, who would you rather build around, Nikola Jokic or Miles Turner? Oh, wow. That's a great question. You know, I, I it would have helped if I had gone and looked at these a little bit ahead of time. But, you know... Um, Wow, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, I lean toward Jokic because I just I love him as the fulcrum of the offense. I like I like how his pat he passes, he can shoot the three, um, and he as a facilitator from the elbow. I just feel like his offensive game is super dynamic. Um, but it's tough because Miles Turner on defense. I mean, he's a, he's a A plus rim protector. Mm-hmm. The guy gets to – he blocks shots that he has no business blocking. He also can shoot the three. I don't think he's the pa- – I mean, he's obviously not the passer that Jokic no. is. Um, I don't think anybody is, by the way. I think Jokic might have the the, the, the title for best post-passer now. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, he he looks like Arvidas Sabonis. Every time I watch him throw a pass, there was actually a pass he had last week and, and – um, it looked just like this Arvita Sabonis over the over yeah. the head pass to Damon Stoudemire from from the Portland days. Yeah, uh, and it's just perfect. Um, but yeah, I go Eileen Jokic. But if someone wanted to say Turner, I I can't make an argument either way. Right. So, they yeah, they both. I, it, it's a great way to do it. I, I mean, maybe I, I like Turner. I don't know. I, I was really high on Turner last year, and he's he's continued. He's been very quiet. Like you know, he, the Pacers are not like you know commanding any kind of attention, unfortunately. But um, and he's been he's you know on that path. I don't. I think maybe I thought he'd be a little bit better, you know, or produce a bit more this year than he did. But um, you know, and Jokic is just it's just a question of getting more time now. They finally figured out that they they shouldn't play him with Nurkic. They're probably going to move Nurkic, who I think will help you know another team. Uh, without question, because Nurkic, by the way, is a pretty good passer down there, and he's tough mm-hmm. and he can finish. So, um, but you're right, Nikola Jokic can do a lot more stuff, um, and then it just looks better when he's out there. Without yeah. question, their offense just runs better when he's there. Um, defensively, I guess, what are we thinking? Like, you know, I, I guess that that's he's solid, right? That's, that was what he's we okay. About him? He's not, he's not a great rim protector, but he's got super active hands. Like he. He does a lot of things in the post that that guys that are post up are not used to seeing. Like he pokes a lot of balls away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he gets his hands on a lot of passes, and he's basically it's kind of a nuisance because of how quick his hands are. But Miles Turner is like a good defender right. in the post and as a help side defender, and, and he's just good. Yeah, Miles Turner. Miles Turner. I think Miles Turner is the best player on the Pacers. Okay, I can. Oh, you better than Paul George. Yeah. I I like I would rather have Miles Turner than Paul George. Wow, I might have to quote you right now on Twitter and just throw that. No, out there don't do away. that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> oh God, um, that will be what will that will be the quote leading uh, oh, the the oh. We do the uh, the link. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just I, I like Turner's game a lot, and I think that you know he's had like he had a thirty point game uh, at some point this season, and you know he's not featured 
in what they do. I mean, obviously the ball is in Paul George's hands a lot, and um, I don't and I don't know what it would look like if you if you had a Miles Turner centered offense. I'm not sure what how it would look, but I, I would be putting him in a lot of pick and pop situations and just see what you got. But the correct answer to this question is Joel Embiid. Uh, yes, without yeah. that is the correct answer. Right. So yeah, um, but I, I I lean Jokic just because you know I tend to favor the European guys. Like that's that's my bias. Okay, fair enough. All right, uh, so, all right well, I'll, I'll go Miles Turner then. To, to there, there you, you go know, to be on the opposite side. What's the next fair question? Balanced. Uh, the next question is from Tito Tito P two two two, asking what is the ideal amount of threes a team should take. I'll go ahead and answer this one because I think we both agree with, with this. All of the open ones. Okay. Yes. I said that before, too. If yeah. you can create an offense that gets you 50 good threes, and take 53s. Take 53s. Right. Uh, he, he asked another question. Would the elimination of three seconds in the paint, uh, like if they moved it to six seconds, this is for the offense. Oh, that's interesting. Um, would you uh, – would it lower the amount of threes? Um, I don't think so because a post-up – you know, a post up, you're you're generally you've got a defender on you. It's not an easy shot. Like I don't think, I don't think we're gonna go back to the post up until you get guys like Joel Embiid. And even Embiid is not. Um, I mean, while he has great post up moves, because of the way the defenses are set up now, it's too easy to help in the post. So I think that you're always now gonna get that. You're going to post up, they're going to double, and you're going to pass out for a three. I just think that that's where we are. Right, but that, another reason why teams are reluctant to, to double. And A, and B, because when you double, that requires rotations. That requires people to be on the same page. It requires coaching. And as we've seen across the NBA, you don't always get that. And for a lot of reasons, you might not get you know the practice time you need. Uh, you might not all have, uh, you know, when I've seen um, – um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, my guy in, in the, with the Warriors, um, the defensive coach, Ehrman. Ron Adams. Sorry, when Ron, oh, Adams, Ron Adams, when you watch Ron Adams run a practice with defensively, it's like it's on point. It covers everything. Great drills, um, everything. And so, uh, not every team has that. And so they're going to be reluctant to want to double and rotate mm-hmm. because they're concerned that they're not going to do it correctly and give up what a wide open three. Um, I, I, I kind of just studied my brain for a minute and went back and looking through the knowledge that I have about like, why they invented the three-second rule to begin with. And one of the reasons was, was because back in the day, like the original Celtics, they'd run the pivot play uh, really close to the basket because they had a guy, Dutch Dennard, who was bigger than everybody else and a good passer. Well, and then as you got further along, like if, you, if you had a big guy down there and he could stay down there as long as you can, that would be a huge advantage. Well, now every other team has a big guy to defend, right? Like you, kind of like what you were mentioning. So suddenly that three-second rule isn't as important um, as it was when they, when they installed it. Uh, but the, it is certainly a provocative, interesting idea to even play with it and maybe let, now. Now, one of the reasons why the three-seconds is an issue now is you can't set a screen in the lane very easily because you're worried about the three-second call. And if you had more time, then maybe you'd see more screens like floppy stuff set down there in the paint. That might be interesting. That might change some stuff. Yeah, it might. Um, you know, you talked about coaching, and this leads me to Tito P222's next question, which is, uh, Tito. is, is coachability something players are born with, or can it be taught? Well. Can... I think it has a lot to do with how you're, how you're brought up. Not in a George Carl fashion, <laughs> right? Don't right? don't tread but on like, coals. Okay. Did you have good, did you have good coaches growing up that were like? I, I know the guys that that I have ever had trouble coaching never had a good coach before, and so it's hard to put the blame on them. Yeah, does that make sense? I, I remember, you know, and here's the thing: I I rarely had that issue later on in my last stint as a head coach. Um, I had more of the issue when I was younger, um, and I think it was because of my approach. Sure. You know, and that's also part of the issue. So it's a lot of things going on there. I believe that there is a method to reach any player. 
whether you can find that method or not is 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 a up for debate, right? You know, Kyle Perry has been able to, for all his issues I might have with him, he seems to have figured out a way to communicate with pretty much every kind of player. And, you know, they certainly are able to sort of, you know, in his, in the, in, for the reason why I hate how he does it, it's probably why he gets them to share the balls because, you know, you got a guy who's better than you on the bench, right? And that's that, right. that yeah, really, yeah. you know, puts, puts the onus on you to listen to the coach. But, um, you know, in, in other circumstances when you don't have that and the guy is better and he knows it or whatever and it's tough, it's like, well, how do you get through to the guy? Uh, there is a way. There is There are methods uh, for any kind of player, boogie included. We've seen it, you know, in small doses of that, like where guys can get through. So, Mike uh, Malone got through to boogie. I, for me, it's being able to relate to your players. Like, you got to find some common ground. And it doesn't necessarily have to be basketball. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, it is – Coachability is just as much on the coach as it is the player. Yes, the player needs to be open to coaching, but the player, the coach needs to be um, open to be relatable to the player, right? Like, right. you can't just come in barking orders and, and then expect people to respect you. Right. And you, I don't think you can come in and be like, I love you. You're my, you're like, and, and, and instantly right. embrace some sort of close relationship that doesn't exist because you need to build that. And, you know, so that's, a, you know, we, like, I think we said this before, there needs to be a, a book written about how to take over a new program, how to yeah. become, you know, how to, you know, the steps are good practices. And it could just be an interview book where you talk to a hundred different coaches and they just, yeah. you know, give you insights who have done it because, uh, yeah, it's a very uh, touchy situation when you want to come in and be able to command that respect and be able to communicate with your players. Um, but, you know, certainly there are players who come in a lot more easily coachable than others right away. And that could very well be yeah, how they were raised in their families. Um, and and, th- and that, that takes on every size and shape um, and, and whatever. So, so that doesn't, there's no through line there per se as far as, you know, culturally or whatever. But, um, but then, yeah, it has to do with a lot of things and how the coach does it. So uh, that, that's what we're seeing. I think a lot of these old school coaches have struggled in the NBA. Uh, Byron Scott, um, yeah. you know, um, the guy in, in Minnesota who's not there is now in uh, serious. Um, Sam Mitchell. Sam Mitchell. Uh, you know, I, I forget his name a lot because I think it's because he's got two first names. Yeah, it may, may be. Um, yeah, I, I think – well, I think Dave Yeager made a huge mistake uh, this offseason with the Kings. You know, when he came in, he was talking about how – I mean, because DeMarcus showed up to, to his, his opening press conference and and he tried to make it seem like they already had this – you know, hey, we've got this tight relationship. Mike Malone earned his relationship with Boogie. And, and and I think, like, guys like DeMarcus require you to put in some work on your end, right? And when you've got this sort of generational talent that he's got, okay, is you got to decide if it's worth it for you to put the, put the extra effort in. Um, and since the Kings haven't gotten rid of him and they've gotten rid of five coaches, I would say that the next coach, because, you know, how long will Jaeger be there? Um, the next coach needs to come in and know, hey, I need to build a relationship with this guy at all costs. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, we got some more questions. Um, let's see. Teak asks, uh, any player you'd start a team with now other than Giannis? Oh. Wait, I'm sorry. Any uh, any player I'd start a team with besides Giannis? Any player you start a team yeah, sure. That's easy. I mean, there's plenty of them. Yeah. Um, so, but would you choose anyone over Giannis? I mean, oh, over Giannis. I mean, like like Embiid would be probably be up there, right? Yeah. To me, it's Embiid or Kawhi. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't always come up in that situation. Kawhi doesn't. But um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Embiid would probably be that guy. I guess Kawhi. I mean, we're we talking about Kawhi was 21 or whatever. Kawhi's like 24, 25. Right. So starting with a 25. I mean, I guess whatever. What's yeah. the difference? You're going to get 10 years or eight years. That's out. right. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess Kawhi has got to be up there. It wouldn't be my, you know, first or second choice. But this, um, is, this is our hypothetical Seattle Supersonics for 2017, 2018. Okay. Fair enough. Right. Uh, I would start with LeBron. You know what? How about that? I would I would say I want to draft LeBron in the expansion draft. Yeah, thirty year old LeBron. Okay, yeah, 30, right. Thirty three year old. Hey, give me thirty four year old LeBron. Get, like I'll take him. Um, yeah, you know. I and yes, I know he's just turned thirty two. But I'm saying, give me, give him to me in two years. I, I'll take him. Okay. Um, 
it's funny like how we've got this bias toward man if you're going to start a franchise it has to be a guy that's under 22 or 23 right. no man get like Steph Curry is 28 like Kevin Durant's 28 right uh, do you think Kevin Durant's getting a max contract this summer? Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So uh, somebody's somebody's going to try to start their franchise with Kevin Durant. I mean, I'll answer that with like this: I, I, as far as people uh, have told me, Paul Millsap is going to get a max contract. They he is, and and that's the thing, man. It's like so there are teams that just can't draw a real max player that are going to give max money to a guy like Paul Millsap, and Paul Millsap's a nice player, but he's not a thirty million dollar a year player. No. God bless him. Yeah. Um, But someone's going to. It'll be Sacramento or Denver or someone like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently the Pelicans are not interested in that. So Uh, let's see. Breakdown uh, at NMP658 asks for a breakdown of why the Warriors offense stalls late and blows big leads. I got an easy answer for that. Uh, When they get a big lead, they stop running their offense and it becomes a lot of one-on-one. Um, Kevin Durant needs to be a more willing screener in the offense, uh, especially in late game situations. And Steph Curry needs the ball in his hands more so that he can draw fouls. There that, you go. That about cover it. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that the, the Steph Curry ball in the hands more is is vital because when he's off the ball doing the cutting, they can rough him up and they're not going to call it. And so you just, I have to kind of get over the notion of, like, those are fouls that should be called. You know, those are not. The, the precedent's been set. So the only way to protect him is to have him the ball. You can't rough him up with, when he has the ball. Um, but that's a, a dicey dynamic because we saw, what, at the end of the game against um, – uh, who did they just lose to in overtime? Um, Memphis. Memphis. Uh, you saw that um, the, the heart and soul of their team, Draymond Green, wigged out on uh, Kevin Durant. And probably rightfully so. They had a two-point lead with about 20-some seconds to go. It wasn't going to be the last shot, but all they need to do is get a good shot, hit it or whatever, get a foul, and then the game's over. Um, and, it, you know, Steph Curry had the ball on top, was about to do whatever they were going to do, and then Durant kind of like walks over and says, no, I got it. And yeah. Curry kind of shrugged and was like, well, okay. And then Draymond is in the corner just, you know, losing his right. shit. And he was right. Yeah. Like, look, you know, people can argue to me about Draymond and, like, maybe he's a little bit of a dirty player. But you can't argue to me that he's not a smart player mm-hmm. and he doesn't play winning basketball. And then he doesn't know what – like, that guy is team first all the way. Like, all he cares about is winning. And when I, w- I was watching that game as it happened and, you know, Draymond is an animated guy. I've never seen him that animated in public against his teammate. And and I wonder if this is a thing that has just been building because this is not new. This is not a new thing for them this season. Like this has been an issue. And I wonder if it's like and and uh, I guess Durant talked about it after the game where he said, you know, hey, you know, he wanted me to just run the pick and roll or whatever. Well, I think that this is a common theme. Like their crunch time lineup has two guys that are willing to set screens and you need five mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, like Draymond and Steph and Steph is a great screen setter, especially as a small guard, but you've got to have more guys setting screens. And so I guess, uh, last night Draymond was setting a lot of screens for, for Steph. Um, and, and they kind of were sticking, uh, Durant in the corner a little bit. And so that's something that needs to change. And, and this was one of my concerns coming into this season about the Durant signing was, is, you know, there a lot has been said about Russell Westbrook and his propensity to go to isolation. But maybe Durant was also the problem because Durant also did the ISO stuff and, and they would just take turns. One of them would stand 30 feet from the basket in the corner. And, and like so my concern was the fit and how much how much of the problem in OKC with the offense fell on Kevin Durant. Yeah, you know, it's a really good uh, question, and we know that Durant wanted to get out of there because of that your turn, my turn, ISO stuff at the end, but you can't ignore the fact that it was ingrained, and it was how they did things. Now, I don't want to defend Kevin Durant at all because you you are absolutely right, and Draymond was right, Um, but, you know, could Draymond have, like, gone in for the rebound on that bad shot he took and maybe gotten and knocked it back out? They could have gotten another possession, the game's over, like, instead of giving up and just standing in the corner? Yeah, but in Kevin Durant's defense, he did have Zebo on him, 
And I could easily see him looking at that going, here's a guy who is like at the end of his career who's pretty slow and I've got a lot of uh, you know, ability to go by whatever I can do uh, and this, should be the, this is the best point of attack. So I, I could see sort of why he felt that way specifically because it was Zebo guarding him. Yeah, you know what? To uh, let me give some credit to to my friend Amy from All Heart and Hoop City. Um, she she actually pointed out to me that Zebo has owned the Kevin Durant matchup for years. Because I was asking, well, why isn't Durant just putting the ball on the floor against Zebo and just trying to take him to the rack? Um, but apparently, Zebo has defended him quite well uh, over his time in. Uh, Oklahoma City. So that was a thing. I mean, I think maybe Zebo huh. was in his head. That's interesting. Well, yeah. uh, okay. Either way, uh, it, it worked out poorly for them. And, you know, this is, again, they've only they, they've barely lost any games. They, they haven't had too many of these. So, you know, I could see why Draymond was kind of happy it happened because they need to have more situations to get Durant involved and see what the right way to play is. Right. right, it's like easy to correct a mistake. It's hard to correct like if he takes a tough shot and makes it. It's hard to fix that. Right. By the way, can and, and you know and, and it, it really you can impress upon him on a loss. Like really, you got to take this seriously. But here's an interesting question: Do the Warriors had the Warriors had this problem before in the past without Kevin Durant? Oh, sure. You know, had they had this issue with like down close games, taking like bad threes, like. I don't know. Like maybe this is sort of a thing that's more endemic to the Warriors themselves as well. Yeah, it, it is part of it. I, I just think that I think in this particular instance, um, it was just highlighted because it was Durant. But you're right. I mean, they definitely. I mean, a lot of bad turnovers late game for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah. I mean, you're not you're not wrong about that. But I think. I think that Steph has tried to be a little bit more under control, especially since the the Christmas Day loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, like we've like we've all said, just give him the ball, put the ball in his hands, and let him make plays. Yeah, he's exactly. Better, he's, spiked by the way at Christmas Day, they gave him a lot more. Or right after Christmas Day, they were giving him a lot more pick and roll opportunities, and so that's yeah. changed. Like they're they're trying. Well, he's been over thirty the last three games in a row. Um, he's, he's got a 40 point game in there I and mean, he's looking like Steph from last year, which probably correlates. I haven't broken it down, but probably correlates with having the ball in his hands more. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so how about one more question? All right. Last question. All right. Um, at Nagus Trey asks, uh, are the wizards a small forward away from being the number two or three in the East? Now my argument, uh, in the no again for this question is that uh, Otto Porter has been really really good this year. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he's he's getting a max contract from somebody this this summer probably Brooklyn mm-hmm. um, he's really good he's a good defender and he's a he's he's hitting threes at a nice rate and he's actually making plays um, so I would say the three is their the least of their worries yeah I mean what yeah. is their worry then they're not getting much production out of the four spot. Um, Morris is not really doing a whole lot for him, and you know the the Jan Mahimi signing was it's another one of these years, not the dollars. You know, signing him to a four year deal. He's twenty nine. He's a center, and he hasn't played for him all year. Yeah. So that that's kind of handcuffing them a little bit. They're they're basically down a man that they expected to be in the rotation. They probably expected him to be a starter because I I feel like they wanted to move on from Gortat. Mm-hmm. So. I think that that's that's their biggest concern is that they're really down a guy in the rotation. Burke has been good as a backup. Um, I like Sadoransky, but you know he's he's experiencing some growing pains. Um, but yeah, I, I, Otto Porter is the least of their worries. Yeah, no, he's been made a nice jump. Uh, I I've, again another one of those players who caught my eye coming out of college, and uh, you know I, I I thought I was wrong. I thought maybe I missed whatever I'd seen, but it's finally coming, and he's developing more physically. I think that was part of the issue was he was just like just too skinny and just didn't have good balance and, and power. And as he's you know gotten to be twenty three, that's that's helpful as well as, as the comfort level. Um, but you know he came out of Georgetown with the Princeton offense, and he seemed to understand how to play the game. Uh, and it was only a matter of time. So, yeah, that's that's definitely not the issue there. And, by the way, it's a really pleasant surprise. They've kind of come out of nowhere to get into the playoff hunt. Uh, and who knows? They can get on a run if the schedule is favorable and, uh, and you know, get move up even higher. 
Well, they've already gone on a run and they're the eight seed now, which, you know, it looked like they were going to be selling parts off mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. And and I actually think that they're they're kind of figuring out who they are and what they are. And Bradley Beal has been really good. And so, um, yeah, I think that they could be the six seed. Yeah. What is this Easily. run right now? They've won. Let's see. One, two, three, five out of seven. Yeah. Yeah. I think they could be. I think they could easily be the fifth seed. Um, I don't think the Pacers are locked in there at all. I mean, they're only like a game and a half back. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Well, so, yep. Yeah. Uh, no, I was going to say, are we doing a live show this week? Uh, we we can do something. Um, I don't know if we can do it live, uh, but we can do something after the game. Post game, uh, okay. Yeah, we can do a post game show. What's what's up on the schedule for this week? We've got Grizzlies Thunder. Um, and Cavs Blazers on Wednesday. And then Thursday, we've got Bulls Knicks and Pistons Warriors. Ooh. That's Pistons weird. Warriors? I mean, Pistons Warriors is a very strange, you know, unlikely pairing of teams. Um, what was the late game on Wednesday? It was Cavs Blazers. All right, we'll have to talk. We'll have to, we'll have to maybe, maybe we'll put we'll out figure a poll it out. on Twitter. I was hoping we could. Well, I was hoping we could promote it here on the podcast. You know, oh, like, I, that is true. That would be smart. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. We let's do a poll on Twitter. All right, that will force everyone to get over on Twitter and follow us because again, it's a rollicking good time, especially during the games when we're doing a lot of analysis. So you have to be on Twitter, uh, even if you're not on it now. Just join, sign up. Everyone's doing it, um, and follow just us learn. because well, follow Dave before you follow me. No, follow both because we talk to each other a lot and you might miss out on that conversation. Well, that's true. So follow us both. Uh, I'm at B-Ball Breakdown. Dave, where are you? At Coach Dave Dufour, D-U and the number four at the end. I should probably just change that to something more simple, but no, nah, it's too late. I don't know. It seems pretty simple, but you know I'm what? You can just spell out the Dufour, but hey, that's whatever right. works. You know, you're, you're like Prince right when he would name his title his songs. <laughs> That's right. So, all right. Well, uh, another great show. Thank you all for joining us, uh, and we'll and do it again next Monday. We'll do a, lo- a live or some sort of post game show this week as well. So stay tuned for that. And don't forget, sports fans, at B Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You win. Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. <laughs>